Well, good morning. Welcome to Soul City Church. My name is Jarrett Stevens, and I'm uh, excited to be with you as we continue on, as Jeannie mentioned, the series called God's Politics. Uh, it can be a little concerning when you hear politics and church brought up in the same sentence. It tends to never end pretty. And uh, what we're going to do, instead of opening our mouth about what we think our opinions are or how you know, people should vote, what we're actually going to do is open God's Word. Uh, we're going to look to how God has been speaking towards very uh, clear uh, and consistent truth for thousands of years to issues that still seem to be hot topics in our culture today. And there are, in the Bible, uh, there are uh, so many different passages and truths and about who God is, and for thousands of years, uh, scholars have studied these passages in depth. There have been um, wildly intelligent people who have torn these passages apart, well-intentioned people who have studied them for themselves and have looked at the same verse in the Bible and have come to two different conclusions. There, there are lots of things about the Bible that you can read again and you don't get at first pass and it's kind of confusing or at the very least mysterious, which is good because it forces us into a posture of faith and desiring to learn more about who God is. There are so many of those kinds of verses and truths and principles in the Bible. What we're looking at today is not one of those. What we're looking at today is incredibly clear throughout the Scriptures, is incredibly consistent. You can read all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the same truth continues to keep coming up when it comes to God's heart for the poor and God's heart for our heart for the poor. This is not a mystery. In fact, it's very, 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 very clear. There are in the Bible over 300 verses that deal with the poor, Half of them talk about God's heart for the poor. The other half are about what our response could be and should be to the poor and with the poor. So God is not silent. God is not unclear about this. So really the task for you and I is to listen to truth from his word today and hopefully walk out of this place transformed in such a way that we would live more like Jesus when it comes to how we engage the poor and have relationship with the poor. See, our nation has a rich history with poverty. We did a little bit of this last week. If you missed the first talk on power, we talked about where our nation comes from. If you know the story, this, we're going to just do the little you know, national history, like 101 kind of stuff. So just so you get some American history here, here's the deal. We started as a poor country, just so you know. We moved here as immigrants. We left places that we, you know, as we talked about last week, we didn't agree with or appreciate the power structures that were. And so we left and came here with nothing and essentially started from scratch as a nation, as a people. We are an immigrant people. That's how we got here, and that is a part of our national identity. In fact, what I find so interesting, when we talk about God's heart for the poor and consider the story of poverty in our nation, is that engraved in the Statue of Liberty is a very interesting hope for our country. And just by a show of hands, how many of you have been to Statue of Liberty, have like, seen it up close, not just in movies, Ghostbusters 2, but you've actually seen it? Okay, good. Good. It's different than it is in Ghostbusters 2. Um, at the bottom is engraved a poem, and you may know some of it. I want to read just a strong portion. It's a poem from Emma Lazarus. And this is what we welcome the world to our shores with. Just listen to these words written about our country. Give me your tired, your 
poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore, send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Our country set out as a people of immigrants, a people in poverty. And our hope and desire for the DNA of this country and our democracy would be that we would always have open doors and open shores to the poor, the huddled masses, the homeless, tempest-tossed. This is where we started, but it certainly would not describe where we're at today as a country. Would you agree? There has grown a great confusion in our understanding of what it means for us to engage with the poor, to, to have relationship with the poor. What does that mean for our country today? And I just want to kind of get set a picture for where we're at. We know where we came from, a little confusing how we got here, but let's just kind of draw a line for where we're at right now. I want you to turn to the person next to you and take a guess at what you think the 2012 poverty income line is for a family of four. So I'm going to give you a little time because really you're going to be guessing. So I don't want you to think too hard about this because you're probably going to be guessing. But for a family of four in our country, how much do they have to make to be below the poverty line? Go ahead and turn to the person next to you. Family of four, take a guess. All right. In 2012, in our country today, the line that we draw where we say, okay, these folks who make less than this are in poverty, and those who make more than this are not in poverty, is this, $23,050. That's the poverty line. Now, for those of us who live in the city of Chicago, can you imagine trying to raise a family of four on $23,000? Now, some of you, may that may be your scenario reality. All college students are like, that's me. I, apply, I am that category. But to raise a family of four, and here's what's amazing. If you make $25,000, then you don't register and, and as poor in our country. And so do you see, we come as a nation of immigrants with nothing who opened our doors and opened our shores to say, you can come here with nothing and make something of yourself. And yet, this is where we draw the line. In fact, because we've drawn the line at $23,050, do you know that right now in our country today, there are 46.2 million people living in poverty? 20, I'm sorry, 46.2 million Americans. We have more people living in poverty than most countries have in population. Now, this is just some of the reality of the tension that we live in. Let's just bring it in a little bit closer. The zip code that we exist in as a church is 60607. So this is our zip code. It kind of covers the West Loop, and it goes down through University Village and down into Pilsen and up a little bit into Ukrainian Village. So just in this little strip right here of our zip code, do you know how many people live in poverty in our neighborhood in this area? 27% of our zip code. So of this kind of surrounding mile or so of around our church, one in four people live below the poverty line. And again, this may be very personal to you. You may know this all too well. 
But I think for a lot of folks, we don't realize exactly the reality of poverty in our city. Last number. In our city, we're... 27% live in poverty in our zip code. 30% of our city's children live in poverty. 30% of our kids and our schools live below the poverty line. And so the question you and I have to wrestle with is we're going to open God's word here in a second and look at one of the oldest passages we have about God's heart for the poor. The question we have to wrestle with this is this. What do you think God's heart is? What do you think God feels about that? And the next question, if we push in a little bit deeper, and especially for those of us who are serious about knowing God and following Him with our lives, is not only what does God feel about all of that, but what should our response be? How do we respond to the reality of poverty that surrounds us, especially those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, especially the church? How do we respond to the reality of of poverty around us. You know, there's a great theologian and philosopher uh, in our day right now that I think sums up the tension that every one of us faces when it comes to the reality of poverty around us. I want to put up a quote from him right now. His name is Stephen Colbert. He is <laughs> the host of the Colbert Report, which is, if you don't know, is a late night kind of talk show on Comedy Central. That's context. This is what Stephen Colbert has to say about this tension. If this is going to be a Christian nation that doesn't help the poor, either we have to pretend that Jesus was just as selfish as we are, or we've got to acknowledge that he commanded us to love the poor and serve the needy without condition, and then admit that we just don't want to do it. What is our response to God's response towards the poor that surround us all throughout the city, all throughout our lives, all throughout, everywhere we interact. What is our response going to be? It's easy for me, and if if you're kind of like me, especially at this time of year, to go, you know what? I hope someone solves that problem. Those numbers are out of control. I hope someone comes in and solves those problems. Let's elect someone who's going to form a policy that hopefully will pass over the next four years that can do something about it. You can easily write it off and say it's a political problem. It's a political problem for political people to solve, and there's a lot of systems and all that kind of stuff, and that is true. There's a lot of systems involved, so let's let them, it's, it's their problem. Or what you can say is, okay, I, I don't know if they're going to solve the problem, but we got a lot of nonprofits that are doing great work here in the city. It's their problem. And so we'll kind of help out where we can, but we're going to let them deal with the reality of poverty, because it's not really my problem. It's their problem. And yet, as we're going to see here in a second from God's Word, it's, God doesn't look at poverty as a problem. I think maybe this is where our mind shift needs to happen. God doesn't look at poverty as the problem. It's our heart towards the poor that's often the problem. God doesn't look at poverty as the problem, as we're going to see here in a second. It is our heart towards the poor, how you and I engage with the poor, that is oftentimes at the root of the problem that God speaks to. And what I want us to do is to look at one of the earliest passages where God speaks to from his heart to our hearts regarding how we engage with the poor among us and around us. And so I'd ask if you would to grab a Bible. Uh, You can pull your, if you brought a Bible, you can grab that now. I want everyone, if you would, though, to grab one. There should be one, if you didn't bring one, in the seat back in front of you. 
And so you can grab this. We're going to turn to Deuteronomy 15. We're going like way back to the left side. Deuteronomy 15. It's on page 132 in the blue Bibles. Deuteronomy 15. And we say this every week. If you uh, don't own a Bible, we want you to grab this, read this. And if you don't own one, please, would you take this home with you? It's, It's our gift to you. One of the things we love to do is restock Bibles every week. So if you don't own a Bible, we want you to dive into this and see this truth for yourself. So you can grab a Bible if you don't own one, take it home with you. We're going to look at this passage from Deuteronomy 15. Let me give you a quick context, and then we're going to look at God's heart as he speaks to our heart regarding the poor. Quick context. Uh, God is speaking here to the people of God, which are about to become the nation of Israel. Okay, This is a, a, a people group that's sort of followed and we get to track with and find ourselves in all throughout the Old Testament. And so what had just happened with these folks is similar to how our nation began. They came from poverty. In fact, they had just come and been rescued by God from Egypt where they served as slaves. And so if you know the story or or, or you've seen the cartoon, uh, Moses rescues them and brings them out of Egypt. And then there's 40 years in the wilderness where God is working on their heart, working on their heart, working on their heart. Will they choose him as their leader and their Lord? And then he brings them to a place that he's promised them for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, this promised land, land of Canaan. They're about to enter in. It's a beautiful, bountiful place. In fact, in other passages in the Bible, it calls it the land of milk and honey, which as a kid to me, I'm like, that sounds terribly sticky. Why would anyone... But it's metaphors that God is talking about here, that there's such richness and lushness and bounty, and it's about to be theirs. And so Moses is about to enter the people in. He's actually about to die. This is his final State of the Union address. And that's what this book is, Deuteronomy, that we get. It's his kind of last call to the people of God before they become the nation of Israel. And this is what God has to say to us through them. These words, if anyone is poor among you, among your people, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be, what's the word? Hard-hearted. Now, good. I'm going to pause again. You're going to speak that word back to me because it's very important because I think it reveals oftentimes what my heart can be. So, if anyone is poor among your people, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, do not be what? Hard-hearted. Or what? Tight-fisted. You know what that looks like, don't you? hard-hearted. It's, it's someone else's problem. It's their problem. They got into this mess. It's their problem. Someone else's problem. That's hard-hearted. Tight-fisted is, I see the problem, and I'm not willing to do anything about it. That's tight-fisted. God's saying, look, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be what? Open-handed and freely lend them whatever, underline that word, whatever they need. That's a very challenging teaching from God. Lend them whatever they need. Now, let me just give a little context to these next two sentences. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts, is near. Now, let me just pause on what that means. See, the way that God had set up his economy, his politics, if you will, at that time, was he had set up a system and a rhythm to where every seven years, there was like a, they called it a year of jubilee, where all debts would be canceled. And, and so if you owed someone something and you'd been paying it off, but you hadn't quite paid it all off, in the seventh year, that debt would be erased and removed. If you owed something to someone, it was made equal. It was made even. All debts were canceled. How many people want to vote for a year of Jubilee this November? (laughs) Amen and amen. Right, so um, 
That's how it worked back then. And so what he's saying is this. What he's speaking to, I think, is something that's very real, at least in my heart, maybe in yours too. He says, look, don't, don't even harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year is coming. That, that'll take care of it. What he's basically saying is the system will take care of it. Oh, the seventh year is coming. Oh, the system is, is coming. Oh, okay. Someone else will take care of the problem of poverty in front of me. Don't let the system take care of it. God says, don't even do that. Because this is what you do when you do that. When you write it off to someone else's problem, and don't recognize the only problem in your heart. You show, don't do that so that you don't show ill will towards the needy among your people and give them nothing. Don't even harbor that thought. Because then, he goes on to say, they may appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of what's the word? This is how serious God's heart is for the poor and how much he cares for our heart for the poor. That to ignore, to write off, to walk by is equal to sin. It grieves the heart of God when we mistreat or ignore the poor. God says, look, don't do that. But then he goes, verse 10, do this. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, now this is very important. Please underline this. Because of this, you're generously giving to them. The Lord your God will what? Bless you. The Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. This is kind of one of those promises of God. If you practice this, I will do this. You show my heart towards the poor, and I will show you my heart towards you. I will bless what you put your hand to when you partner with and are in a relationship with and give to, however possible, the poor that surround you. Very interesting next sentence here. There will always be poor people in the land. There will always be poor people in the land. Now, what what God is saying here is is this. As long as the presence of sin is in the world, poverty will always be a reality. It's not that these folks are poor or you're poor because of your sin. No, it's the presence of a universal presence of sin. Because our relationship with God was broken thousands of years ago in the garden with sin, because of that presence of sin, there will always be the reality of poverty in our world. There just will be the poor will always be with you. And you can look at that and go, oh man, so it's, I guess that's it. I guess we're off the hook. If they're always going to be poor, then they're always going to be poor. Not at all. No, what I believe God is saying is the poor will always be with you. In other words, there will always be an invitation, an opportunity for you to know me more through the poor. There will always be an opportunity, an invitation for you to know me more through the poor. Therefore, he says, I command you, I command you. I'll bless you, but listen, I command you. Be open-handed towards those of your people who are poor and needy in your land. Be open-handed. Don't be tight-fisted and closed-hearted and don't assume that the system will take care of it. It's someone else's problem that they'll solve. God says, no, I'm giving you an invitation and an opportunity to know me more by being with the poor. You will know my heart more, and I will grow your heart more when you and I are with the poor. God's heart all throughout the scriptures, as you can see, you read through yourself and you look this stuff up on your own, you'll see the basic message you see again and again and again throughout the scriptures is simply this. Be 
close to the four and be compassionate. Be close. Be in relationship and proximity so that you actually know what a need is and be compassionate. Wherever you can, however you can, if at all possible, meet that need. Be close, be with, and be compassionate. Don't just sort of walk by, walk around, walk away, but walk with the poor that surround you, that are in our town, our land. You see here the heart of God revealed more and more and more. The closer I get to the poor, the more I see God's heart, not just for them, but for me as well. It's as though proximity changes my perception of poverty. Proximity will change my perception of poverty. When I'm at a safe distance, then it's an issue. But when I'm in a relationship, then it's, a, it's someone I know, a friend maybe even. Proximity changes my perception of poverty. Be close and be compassionate. The closer I am, the more I begin to, to see, oh, oh, wait a second, it's not all the stereotypes and generalizations that I've been told or that I've assumed. Oh, wait, this isn't just some sort of statistic. This is a, this is a family with very real needs in our zip code. The closer I get, the more I begin to understand. Oh, I think, okay, there are systems that work here, and there, th- th- this is kind of a reality that's much bigger than I ever perceived. And the closer I get, the more I'm actually able to care. So I wonder if maybe the, the invitation for you and me when it comes to what we should do for the poor is, is simply what we see taught throughout Scripture. God's invitation to us and what we should do for the poor is simply to be with the poor as much as possible. God's invitation for you and me is to not just do things for the poor, which is great, but to, to be with the poor to be with, to be close, to be in proximity. How does that work? What does that look like for you? To be with the poor in a city where we're surrounded by the reality of poverty. What does it look like in our everyday lives to be with the poor as God is? Well, I know for us, it it, it took a little bit of a, um, you know, extreme makeover of sorts. See, when we moved back up here to Chicago to start Soul City Church a couple years ago, we moved into a neighborhood that's greatly under-resourced, greatly under-resourced. And up until that point in my life, poverty had been kind of a concept, you know, like, and I knew God cared about it, and I knew I should do something about that, and so I did the best that I knew at the time, and so I would you know, go into the inner city and, and, and volunteer for an afternoon or Saturday, you know, and try and do the best I can. I would do kind of adopt a family at Christmas and do, do the best thing. That's all wonderful and, and, and fine stuff. And that's kind of what it was for me because I wasn't in proximity to poverty. So it was kind of more of a concept for me. But then we moved into a neighborhood where it wasn't just a concept. It was my context. And poverty was all around me. And it wasn't just folks that I got to come and visit for a day and then go home with. It was my neighbors. It was the folks in my alley, the folks across the way. In fact, I remember just really early on, we got a glimpse of, 
in just a few short months, within two weeks of moving into our house, uh, they completely tagged top to bottom, left to right, our garage door. The local gang did. And it wouldn't have bothered me as much if it actually looked good. <laughs> I think they sent a 12-year-old to do it. It was, it was terrible. I didn't know who I should talk to about that, and so I, should I email someone. So I didn't do that, so we kind of repainted that, and we're like, okay, welcome to the neighborhood. That's good, that's good. You know, had our cars broken into a few times. All right, well, that's part of that's being in the city. All right, I understand, I understand. That, that, that's fine, that's good. What was most um, eye-opening to me was just a few months after we moved into the neighborhood, a group of kids had come in from the suburbs, from a church, great church in the suburbs, had sent teams of teenagers into our neighborhood. And I kind of saw them around, and I knew something was up, because, you know, there's just, you don't see a lot of teenagers like that in our neighborhood. And so they eventually came to our door and knocked. And it was a really powerful moment for me, because they said, hi, we're from so-and-so church in the suburbs, and we're just here to serve, and we want to know whatever we can do to help you today. And it just hit me like, oh my gosh, God, these are the trips that I used to take. And now they're coming to my neighborhood. I thought, God, you've given me a really powerful moment here. And so I looked at the kids and I said, yeah, our grass needs to be mowed. And um, <laughs> there's still some graffiti in our garage, if you don't mind washing that off. And so I put them to work and no, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. See, God changed my perspective because I was now in proximity to, to poverty. And it helped me at least understand, at the very least understand, a little bit more, to see it a little bit clear, and to align my heart with God's heart of compassion. So there's a word that continues to come up again and again and again throughout the Scriptures when it talks about those 300 verses about God's heart for the poor and for justice and his concern for our hearts. There's a word that keeps reappearing again and again and again and again. That word is the word compassion. Now, I always thought of compassion as feeling sorry for, like empathy. I feel sorry for these folks who are in this tough spot. I, I feel bad for you see these numbers. You feel bad, right? We all felt that, like, oh, that feels terrible. And that's kind of what I thought, sympathy and feeling bad and feeling sorry for. But that's not actually where the word compassion really comes from. The roots of the word compassion are two simple thoughts. It's to be with suffering. The word that God uses again and again and again to describe his heart for the poor and his heart for us is that we would be compassionate, that we would be with suffering. That we would be with suffering. Wherever it may exist, however it may appear, in our city, in our world, in our day-to-day life, God is inviting us to be more compassionate, to be with suffering. No one modeled this better. No one, this will come as no surprise to you, no one modeled this better than Jesus. Having such a heart of compassion for the poor. And what's interesting, if you stop to think about it, if you've ever read through the Gospels yourself, what's interesting to think about is, this is the same Jesus, right? Who performed many miracles, eyewitnesses. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of eyewitnesses saw Jesus perform miracles, powerful miracles, like bringing heaven to earth kind of miracles. Same Jesus that cast demons out of people, literally like changed people's lives by casting the same Jesus who actually raised his friend from the dead. This is the same Jesus who could have conceivably at any moment said, enough of this poverty. 
Enough of this inequality in our economy. Enough. And he could have flipped over the money changers' tables in the temple, taken all that money and given it to the poor and done a radical redistribution of wealth and said, that's it. We're leveling things out. This is God's heart for compassion. I want to just level things out and make everything equal for everyone. You know what he could have done? Because God did it in the Old Testament. He could have literally caused coins and bills to rain down from heaven. He could have literally made it rain money on people and said, now everyone has enough. So we're all good. We're all equal. And God's happy. But that's not what he did. What he did instead was modeled compassion for us. He chose to align himself with the poor. To be with suffering. He could have eradicated it. He could have fixed it. He could have made it all go away. But he knew what we just read in Deuteronomy. In fact, what he repeated himself, the poor we will always have with us. There will always be an opportunity, an invitation for us to know God more through the poor. And so Jesus gave honor, dignity, presence. He gave himself. He walked with, laughed with, ate with, cried with, felt with, shared with the poor. No one has modeled God's heart of compassion greater for us than Jesus, to truly be with the poor. And if you and I are serious at any level about following the same Jesus, then we have to ask ourselves some tough questions. How do we respond to God's response to the poor? How do we ask him to shape our heart to be more like his heart? And I know what the easiest thing to do, the easiest thing to probably do is say, you know what, we've got an election coming up in a couple weeks, I'm going to vote for that. I'm going to kind of outsource my responsibility to someone else, let them solve it, or, you know, I'm just going to kind of hope that some other good organizations here in the city continue to do the good work they do. You can do that, or you and I can choose to vote today, to vote today, how we are actually going to respond to and be with the poor. And so I'm going to ask you actually to pull, uh, you might be sitting on it, or you might have already pulled it out, your little ballot for this week. We're, we're, not like, we're really serious. We're going to vote right now. And it's a totally loaded ballot. I mean, this is like, the, the, it's kind of like you should know the answer to this one, right? But I want us to be serious about this. And I'm going to invite the band to come up and I want to just give us a couple of snapshots of what this might look like. But I want everyone to grab a, a pen. And I'm really serious. I want us to actually like take a moment to vote because I have you write something down in a minute. I want to give a couple suggestions of how we can this week be with the poor and choose to be compassionate rather than just passive? How is it this week that we're going to choose to be with the poor, to be with suffering, to be compassionate and not just be passive and assume it's someone else's problem? I'm just give you a quick snapshot of what it doesn't look like, real quick. What it doesn't look like is it doesn't look like what I tend, my instinct is when I'm encountered with someone who's different from me, maybe someone who comes from a different you know, kind of place than I do. My tendency, I'm being very honest with you, is to walk around. That's what I learned as a little kid. I remember the first time I encountered a homeless person, and that was my first instinct. I was scared. I didn't want to look them in the eye. They were so different than me. My parents told me to be careful, and so I kind of walked around in a way. And I think if we're honest, oftentimes that may be our, maybe your first instinct. 
if we're going to be compassionate and, and follow Jesus with the poor, to the poor, then we have to resist the temptation to just walk around or assume that the system will take care of it or someone else will take care of it. I'll tell you what else it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like us just kind of counting on and falling back on our old stereotypes and our old generalizations, our broad sweeping assumptions about how they got here and what's their responsibility and what they're going to do with any money that they might have. Those things are deep-seated inside every one of us. And they reveal honestly within us, if we're honest, some prejudice, some fear. And so instead of kind of going to those places, I want to offer just a few suggestions of what maybe we can do this week. And on the bottom... There's a little prayer that says, God, this week. And maybe one of these will spark an idea for you. Maybe you're going to come up with some better ones you can share with us. But what would it look like for us to truly vote and choose to be compassionate this week ourselves? A couple thoughts. When you encounter someone who maybe is, is homeless on your way to work, as you're walking to work or riding to work, and you, they have a sign, they've done the best they could to make a sign, and you've seen that before, right? Every one of us has. Instead of just walking by or instead of just throwing money in the cup, here's one thing. You can ask their name. Can you tell me your name? Introduce yourself. There's dignity in just that small exchange that this is a person, an identity, deep, a person deeply loved by God, and you want to call them out by name. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out conversation. Maybe one step for you is just to say, tell me your name. Okay, Bill. I hope this helps. I'm going to be praying for you today, Bill. By name, Bill, I'm going to pray for you today. That's one thing maybe you can do. I know for our kids, when there's a couple intersections that we come to or places where we get off the freeway where we're just about always approached by someone asking for money. And so what we do is keep quarters in our car and we actually hand them to our kids. See, when I was a kid, my parents did the best they could, but they shielded me from poverty. And so what we want to do is expose our kids to as long as they're alive, there's going to be the poor in this world. And so we give our kids little quarters each to give and to say, and they say it's so cute, little six-year-old or seven-year-old and four-year-old, to hand a quarter out the window and say, God bless you. It's a very, very, very small thing, but we don't want our kids to be insulated and isolated from the reality of poverty around them. And so it's a small way for us to engage. And I'm telling you, we have had some very deep conversations with our little ones about why this is and what we're supposed to do about it. I know we have some friends who keep with them in their car, and maybe you could keep in your car or in your bag a couple extra pair of gloves, especially this time of year. A couple just extra pair of mittens, gloves, so that when you encounter someone and they're maybe in a place where you can tell very clearly they're in a place of need, you can actually meet a real need in a very small, tangible way. They also keep, these friends of ours keep gift certificates in their car. And so anytime they're kind of at the same intersections that we're at or getting off the freeway, they can hand a gift certificate out. Say, look, here's, you know, here's from McDonald's right around the corner. And these are very, very, very small steps, but they're steps. Instead of walking away or walking around for us to walk with. And here's one that I'm going to put to practice this week, and maybe you might want to write this down too. When you're running in to grab lunch this week, at work, you have just a window, you know, to run out and grab some lunch and then get back to work and Maybe you're taking it with you or you know that you're going to be walking back and you're going to encounter some folks who are in need. What would it look like for you just to buy two meals? Just get what you're going to eat twice. Wrap it up, pack it up. It's a very small, simple thing. But as you see someone need, you can, meet, you can literally meet a need. And in a very small way, at least take one step closer 
to being with? What would it look like for you and I to choose to be compassionate this week? I love the fact that God has led and called our church to be this kind of church. Church has a unique responsibility in society and cities to be an example of what it looks like to care for, to be compassionate with the poor. I love that in just a couple weeks, our church is partnering with the Malnati organization, like all the folks that work for Malnati's. And our goal is to pack and create a thousand Thanksgiving baskets to give and, and to serve at our partnership with Breakthrough Urban Ministries. And we'd love, for, as that comes around, we'd love for you to be a part of that. It's coming up in the next couple weeks. I love that in a, just a few short months, two short months, our, host, our church is going to be hosting our third annual Brown Elementary Christmas store, which we host here at the church. It's an opportunity for us to partner with families right here in our zip code to take one more step closer saying, how can we be a part of what God is doing in caring for and being with the poor? This is what the church is, is supposed to be. And it's when the church is at its best is when we are being with the poor. And so in a minute, we're going to do something we regularly do here at Soul City. We're going to receive our offering. We do this as a, an act of worship to God. We do this as a way of responding to God, something we do every week. Many of us do it online, but we do it here to remind us that every good and perfect gift we have actually comes from God. And it's a small way for us to respond to God and say yes to God and to continue to take even steps closer in our relationship with him. As we do, God grows and has grown our hearts. And what's amazing is we're actually able to do more in this neighborhood and to do more in this city through our partnerships to extend God's love to those who are in need. So what I'd love to do is pray for us before we do that. And then we're going to spend some time singing songs that we believe to be true about who God is. But if you would, kind of close your eyes for a second. Think about how you're voting here today and what your response is to God's heart for the poor is care for your heart today. God, we cannot talk about the poor without recognizing, God, our own, my own poverty and my neediness of you. I need you, God. I openly and willingly confess that. I need you, God. We need you, God. And so, God, we know that as you are encouraging us to take another step closer and another step closer to being with you, to being with the poor. That You will meet us every step of the way. God, our fear is going to come in. We're going to feel like we don't know what to say or don't know what to do. But God, we trust that you are actually already there because your word tells us again and again and again throughout the Bible that you are already there with and for the poor. And so God, we trust that we will meet you there as well. God, I pray that you give us great creativity and great courage this week to see you more as we choose to be with the poor. Thank you, God, that we don't have to wait for someone else to do it. We don't have to kind of hope that someone else will solve the problem. God, you've invited us to be with. I pray, God, that for myself and for our friends and family here, God, we would choose to do the same this week. We love you, God, in your name. Amen.